Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all that bad relationship advice using science. Science. I don't know why I made science spooky. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa. And I'm Dr. Sarah Woods in Dallas, Texas. Today we're going to discuss an academic article called Emotional Regulation and Immune Functioning During Grief. Also capitalizing on yet another wonderful guest. We're so lucky um, here with us this episode, Kate Siemens. But before we get to all of that goodness, how are you guys doing? What are you up to? Well, in Iowa, we're still counting votes. <laughs> I mean... Oh, hashtag awkward. I didn't want to bring it up. I mean, Iowa's the new Florida, so <laughs> we just don't have the sunshine or the beaches. Or the retirees. Yeah, that's That also is true. Or the Miami nightlife. Mm, nope, don't have that either. <laughs> No, 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 you're right. It's it's or professional sports teams or anything like that. But other fruit. (laughs) I mean, apparently the list goes on. Beaches, (laughs) oceanfront. (laughs) But other than that, it's been seasonably seasonably warm in Iowa, meaning we've been in the 30s instead of in the 20s. So we're excited about that, and yeah. Just try making a list of reasons to move to Iowa. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily now we're not getting like 45 text messages a week, and all of the flyers from Tom Steyer every day to really? convince us that we need to caucus for the man who who somehow has 38 billion dollars but wears the same tie every time we see him. <laughs> I mean, go figure. I was actually going to say that was my favorite thing about Tom Steyer is his tie. <laughs> He spent a lot of money in Iowa. I heard an analysis that for every one vote he got, he spent $5,000 in Iowa. Good night. And he still came in eighth place. So <laughs> it's really a bad investment, I think. But, you know. I like I like how you have deflected, though, from the fact that Iowa <laughs> is really the core issue here. You've moved right away from that. Uh, you That's know. right. Blame the billionaires, Jacob. Jeez. <laughs> It's not their fault they make so much money. They're so good at their job. Is that not the right take? <laughs> Woods, how's your week been? Um, it has been good. It's very busy at work. Um, sadly, we are home with the flu this weekend, but it is a nice excuse to um, force snuggles on my daughter. Um, you will snuggle who, me. That's right. Who otherwise would much prefer to be like, playing and running around and maybe being outside because it's like 65. I hate you. (laughs) That was just what I was leading up to. Um, So uh, I feel bad when she's sick. Like it just just like breaks your heart, but also um, allows me to squeeze her. She won't fight it. (laughs) She's consenting, but she doesn't fight it, just to be clear. (laughs) Well, thanks for the clarification. Uh, We'll have a a conversation about consent on a later podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Not this episode. Things are going fascinatingly here in Knoxville. Um, The weather has been wild. Yeah, you all have been having, like, flooding, right? Yeah, they canceled school for two days in a row because of the rain. Um, Yeah, that was... and, And... the school, uh, my kids go to uh, a Montessori uh, like daycare, so they are not part of the public school system yet. They opted to cancel school, even though the school is literally on top of the hill, and it was perfectly fine. Anyway, that's maybe a letter I should be writing to the head of school, not bending here on the podcast. Um, <laughs> but, you know, pick your battles or whatever. Um, but, yeah, uh, the weather is nice today, but y- you never know. Mother Nature, she's a, she can be a tricky little bitch sometimes, but that's okay. <laughs> um, anyway, on that note, without further delay, I'd like to introduce, I mean, this is the perfect tone, right? Uh, <laughs> I'd like to introduce our expert for this episode, Kate Siemens. 
Kate recently started a company called Rainy Day Boxes. Um, and if you haven't heard about it, I really recommend you follow them on Instagram at Rainy Day Boxes CO. So Rainy Day Boxes is based on her sister who left her a gift hidden in her closet after her husband passed away. Kate, can you tell us more about the whole story and kind of how the idea of Rainy Day Boxes came to pass? Yeah, so the Rainy Day Boxes part is wonderful. Um, everything that came before it is horrific. Absolutely. Uh, so um, my husband died in an, an accident in 2016. Um, I was 36. I had two little kids. Um, it was as bad as you can imagine. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, oh, you know, why I'm here, the expertise I've gained um, is in yes. grief. And, you know, living kind life, of yeah. seeing how the people in my life showed up and didn't show up and showed up in the right ways mm -hmm. and the well-meaning but misguided ways. Um, but one of the most powerful ways was what, what my sister did. She lives about nine hours away from me and she was just really wrestling with like, how, how do I make a difference? You know, how, how do I, you know, be there on the days when Kate just feels like she can't do it and, and all she needs is a hug from me, but I, I can't be there. And so she came up with this idea um, where, you know, I had this gift in my closet and she told me it was a rainy day box and I was supposed to open it up on a rainy day, um, you know, like a really unbearable day. And inside was a note from her, you know, that kind of gave me um, the sort of encouragement I needed and then, you know, some sort of gift that was either, um, you know, sentimental, emotional, or like a self-care type gift. And she said to let her know when I had opened it and she would send me another one. And it was, it was so amazing because one of the, you know, thousand things that's tough about grief is it lasts a really, really long time. Like, I am still grieving three and a half years later. People, society doesn't really um, inform us of that. So, right. you know, I think after the initial couple months, people start not showing up so much. Um, and that was just about the point where, like, the shock wore off and I started actually feeling, like, really bad. And so to just have something, you know, on a day when I'm, uh, you know, counting the minutes because I feel like I can't make it to the end of the day, um, to be able to like go in my closet and have this, you know, it's like, it's like a release valve. Like it just takes off this little bit of pressure. It's, you know, it's, it's feeling seen. It's, you know, getting these words of like, you, you can do it. You can, I, this is horrible. This is shitty, but you can make it to the end of the day. Like you know just just stick with it so um it was it was just such a like fabulous um component of of um my process and so we felt like it, it was something not just that we wanted other grieving people to experience but i i think you know a way to empower people who want to help grieving people um you know that's like the big gap we saw you know the kind of that educational piece. You know, there were hundreds of people in my life who wanted to help and they did not know how and... Or what was best. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think, you know, we don't... Society, we don't, we don't talk about death or grief that much. And so you kind of... You're left with your instincts. And I think our instincts aren't very helpful in this situation. And so, you know, we... So we created Rainy Day Boxes sort of as a way to both give people um, uh, you know a really great way to show up for their friends you know they can um, we have these collections they can buy and it um, all the gifts are individually packaged and um, so the concepts the same you know save these for a rainy day open one when when you can't go on and you know there's messaging inside each one but then also at on our website and at Instagram we you know, I just share share my grief advice, you know, my thoughts on what to write in a sympathy card, you know, how to show up for someone who's grieving, like things to think about at the holidays, um, because it's so obvious to me now. But also, like, I realize had I not gone through this, like, I would know none of, none of this and have done everything wrong. So, you know, being able to kind of share what I've learned and what's been helpful for me, um, is, is something that's become important to me so 
Absolutely. And I remember one of the first times we uh, were talking or hanging out as friends, I remarked that, you know, I was originally trained as a therapist, but the we were talking in general about society and how grief kind of scares a lot of people. And as a training as a therapist, I was so surprised in realizing how little training we get as therapists specifically with with grief. I'm very excited that you're here. <laughs> and um, I have a question for you. Are you ready for pop and culture? Oh yes, absolutely. First up, pop and culture. We learn about relationships from our friends and our family, but a lot of what we think about love and relationships and how to, to interact with each other come from what we see in pop culture. So for this first segment, we like to take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view our relationships. Jacob, what do you have for us this week? Well, I have to give a shout out to Sarah Woods this week for uh, cluing me into the to this episode of Modern Family, which um, if you are not up to date yet on Modern Family, please stop listening right now because I don't want to give away any spoilers. And I'm going to also just say rather than stop, maybe like skip ahead five minutes. (laughs) That's that's fair. Yeah. So, uh, this was probably about two episodes ago. It's an episode where Phil gets a call from his, uh, from people who know his dad, whose dad lives down in Florida, saying that they found him wandering around the grocery store he used to, he used to run. And so Phil gets concerned and he decides to fly down to Florida to go check in on his dad. And, um, it's really fun because if you're familiar with Phil and his dad's relationship, they have... A really great one, I think. Um, oftentimes the media portrays father-son's relationships as like distant and emotionally unavailable, and that's where the drama comes from. But the comedy in this one comes from the fact that they are so similar, both goofy, and both like a lot of the same things. But what I thought was poignant about this episode is um, as he's down there with his dad in Florida, they end up trying to go get his dad a haircut at this barbershop he's always been to. And at the barber shop, uh, the barber has to close up, but they're like, Phil's like, hey, can I cut your hair, dad? So he sits his dad um, down in the chair and uh, they are having a conversation. And his, he asks his dad about going to visit the grocery store. And his dad says, I just missed it. Like, I wanted to go see how it was going on. I had a lot of pride in that store when I ran it. And then Phil asks him a really pointed question, something to the effect of, did I disappoint you for not wanting to take over the grocery store for not wanting to run the family business? And his dad actually turns to him and says, well, you did run the, you are a part of the family business. You've, you've kept it light. You've made people happy. You've brought smiles to faces. And that's what our business is all about. Um, And what I really appreciated about that interaction was it shows kind of, um, I think when we think, Think about relationships that are transitioning, whether through death or breakup um, or other types of losses. Uh, I think sometimes there's always this, uh, a sentiment frequently experiences that people, we've, we've let somebody down or mm. we've, we've not lived up to these expectations that they thought they had of us. And what I loved about this interaction, you know, it wasn't Phil's dad saying, no, no, you didn't you didn't, uh, no, we love you, son. He was able to say, he was able to communicate in a way that showed that what the family was about, what this relationship about wasn't about the business or what you did or how you did it, but who you were. Um, And after that conversation, it cuts to uh, a small gathering where Phil is eulogizing his dad who has just passed away. And he talks about this day that he was able to spend with his dad and says, we didn't do much that day, but I was really grateful for that. Which I think that shows that, um, and I'm sure we'll touch on this more, is, uh, uh, you know, when we experience loss, it's sometimes, I think, in, in a lot of disrespects, hard to find presence. And I, what I loved about, um, 
uh, that description and that showing was that Phil and his dad didn't need to do something really big and spectacular. They were able just to be together, be present with each other. And in fact, in some ways, uh, that was healing and able to uh, allow them to have the conversations they needed to have. Anyway, it was it was a really well done episode. Um, it's hard to watch it without tearing up. Mm. But I do, I mean, the other thing I love about their relationship is it's not based in these uh, Boxton's definitions of masculinity. They're able yeah. to be who they are without trying to have to be like stoic, unemotional men, but rather men who love each other, are connected to each other, and want to show that to each other. And that reason I really loved it. Woods, what were your thoughts about it watching it? I mean, I am a very faithful follower of that show, so I have seen like every episode. So I agree. I really love the dynamic of their relationship. They're super sweet and so silly and so like emotionally supportive and warm and in ways that I agree are kind of counter to a lot of father-son uh, relationships that we see in pop culture. Um, but I also really love your picking up that piece of the episode specifically because um, his talking about their, like their relationship has been characterized for years as including a lot of like play and fun and magic tricks and just being really silly. Um, and so he's able to highlight that like what is what is important isn't how, um, wasn't your role in this uh, instrumental way of taking over the business because our value system and what how we what we believe in and how we operate is more important, um, which I just thought was a really super special, um, very sweet way to talk about how families have these characteristics of how they engage with each other. And that's really probably the business of being part of a family, yeah. mm. more so than that grocery store. I really liked what you said, Jacob, about how Phil was focusing more on maybe ways or worried about ways he was disappointing his father and how that can um, potentially be problematic rather than focusing on his contributions. Yeah, I think that sometimes, and maybe this is just how it is portrayed in the media, especially like yeah. whenever you see father and son dramas in particular. And again, this is typically coming from like a white straight like like right. idea. But there's always this, um, the drama is in the tension between, you know, the father being emotionally distant and a son potentially really wanting appreciation but then like also really fearing a rela an emotional relationship with dad because the emotion is just not there and then that being replicated across generations and this is what i love about phil dunphy and frank's relationship is that they are connected and committed to each other that um you know even highlights some of that that potential disappointment that phil was asking about but shows it in a way that really relationships between fathers and sons in particular can be more than that and having if men can get over this maybe stereotypical idea of masculinity where emotional expression is only done in certain ways and through certain feelings such as like anger or disappointment and can really learn to communicate those emotions i think um, father-son relationships other male relationships can really be strengthened and more more authentic. Excellent. Now we're going to move to the academic deep dive segment. And given our focus this week on grief and bereavement, we're going to discuss a recent paper describing associations between loss and inflammation, which is a physiological response. The article is titled Emotional Regulation and Immune Functioning During Grief testing the role of expressive suppression and cognitive reappraisal in inflammation among recently bereaved spouses. Now, if that's not a long title, I don't know what is. The colon, typical academic colon. To really, yeah, I couldn't say colon of, out loud, but yeah, that colon is Carrying a lot, lot of weight. Woo, mercy. <laughs> yeah. So this is recently published in the Journal of Psychosomatic Medicine, just a, a journal that I you know, really praise highly and would love to get published uh, in. So get at me, psychosomatic medicine. I don't think, I don't think that's how it works. Oh, I mean, oh it's how, not? 
Anyway. I've not been doing this that long, but I feel like that's not how it works. <laughs> well, listen. Um, this is a team out of Rice University, led by Dr. Richard Lopez, Ryan Brown, Linda Wu, and, and Dr. Christopher Fagundes. Explore how individuals specific emotional regulation strategies in the face of losing their partner was associated with problematic inflammation. So before we move into the breakdown of this study, um, what do we know about immune functioning and grief? Uh, well, we know a, a good amount. So what we know is when we experience stress, our immune system reacts by kicking into high gear, activating our, our pro-inflammatory response. So inflammation. In the face of really stressful life events, this change, in in, in, this change in inflammatory response can become problematic and increase the risk of cardiovascular disease. The loss of a spouse is an intense example of a very stressful life event. And the distress experienced during this type of grief has been linked to a higher levels of pro-inflammatory markers compared to non-bereaved adults. But the researchers who carried out this study were wondering whether the ways in which grieving spouses cope with their emotions may influence the type of immune response. So immune response, again, is inflammation. They suggest that one way people attempt to manage their emotions is to just suppress them, try to ignore them, bottle them up, and actively work to prevent outwardly expressing their grief, a kind of gr grin and bear it uh, type of coping that they suggest may inadvertently actually increase emotional distress and the intensity of their grief. And this type of grieving, this poker face, has previously been associated with greater physiological dysregulation and worse health outcomes. On the other hand, people may try to cope with emotions using cognitive reappraisal, which the authors describe as working to change the way they think about the situation and focus on thinking about the loss rationally and objectively. This is the type of emotional regulation that can be tied to a decreased risk of cardiovascular disease and less negative affect. So the author set out to test whether the use of either emotional suppression, so bottling up those emotions, or cognitive reappraisal, so talking about your emotions in more of a uh, object, objective way, after the loss of a spouse, was associated with levels of inflammatory markers. That was a mouthful, but hopefully you guys caught all of that. So Sarah, can you tell us a little bit more about how they did that and what they found? I can, and I hope I can um, make it less of a mouthful. I'm not sure I'm, I'm, sure I'm going to be successful. Uh, well, um, I'll stop you and ask questions if I have any. Okay, cool. Um, I, I mean, I really love reading research about um, close relationships and health. I think inflammation is this really interesting marker of health and well-being that can really connect to, in this paper, they make the case that it can really connect to um, future cardiovascular disease, This one, mm -hmm. once this ratio of how our immune system is responding gets out of whack. So inflammation uh, is a marker of a lot of a lot of things, right? It is a marker of like literal healing, wound heal. Your uh, uh, inflammation um, can either prevent or help that. Also immune functioning, like you're saying, and it sounds like long-term health, like cardiovascular disease as well. So it's all of these things in our, in our body at once. Mm -hmm. So over time, as that, as that immune system response is out of whack, it can start to create plaque buildup in arteries, and that atherosclerosis is what eventually leads to cardiovascular disease um, over time. So they did not, mention, they did not measure um, heart disease as an outcome here. Their, their dependent variable was looking at inflammation. And so it sounds complicated. It sounds like a mouthful. They studied this really kind of interesting pathway. Right. But the, what I really like about this paper is that I think it has some really meaningful takeaways that are pretty easy and bite-sized that we'll talk about too. So their sample was 99 adults um, around an average age, average age of 69 years who had lost their spouse of at least three years in the past 14 weeks. Uh, they ruled out or rather they um, excluded anyone who had an autoimmune or inflammatory disease because that would, of course, um, alter their um, inflammatory response. Right. Like a pre-existing um, condition that would sure have, yeah yes that makes sense. yes um they also excluded anyone who was pregnant um and anyone that had suffered another loss in the past year because that would also potentially if this pathway 
is um, accurate would create some variations in that mm. and who were not in the process of getting divorced uh, when the loss happened. Um, so otherwise committed couples who are intending to um, stay in the relationship and didn't have any other health conditions that might affect what they found. Uh, so they did a lab visit during which they wrote, uh, completed a self-report questionnaire and had height, weight, and waist circumference measured. And then they did non-fasting blood samples. So they measured five different pro-inflammatory cytokines uh, that have been shown to be affected by stress generally, mm. not specifically tied to grief, but that these are um, markers of inflammation that we know respond to stress, so therefore should likely respond in the face of such a stressful event. So the, it's like the under, uh, underlying hypothesis it's, is basically that grief and stress are highly correlated. They are, makes yes. Sense. Makes absolute sense and um, is true for uh, the vast majority of people. And here what they're looking at is, is how people, how these um, spouses respond in the face of grief in terms of how they express emotion and how they regulate their own emotional response is that related to exacerbations in their immune response okay. does that make i hope it makes sense. yeah totally. um okay makes sense. so they looked at each one of these five markers individually but also as a composite index for overall as a like an average together how they uh, how they reacted to so and then they controlled for a bunch of stuff um which means uh they're they're trying to parse out that these are not variables that are necessarily affecting inflammation or rather kind of entering them into how they tested these relationships to um uh, account for that so they controlled for age sex days since the spouse's death education annual income use of antidepressants depression symptoms use of statins smoking status sleep quality physical activity bmi a bucket of stuff yeah. Um, and we know how much you love control variables, Sarah. I I don't love them. I think <laughs> we're just throwing all of the things in there. Uh, but they all made sense here, and they made a case for why, theoretically, okay. these would be relevant. So I was fully on board and thought, well, I'm going to list these here because this makes good sense. <laughs> this is just good science. I'm fine with that. So what they found was that um, people who are more likely to suppress their emotional expression and to endorse things like, I keep my emotions to myself, I control my emotions by not expressing them, uh, that was significantly associated with a greater inflammatory response. And um, their second emotion regulation strategy they looked at, that cognitive reappraisal that you described earlier, Patricia, was not associated with inflammation, the, um, each of the individual markers or composite, um, which auth the authors, the research team suggests might be because that type of emotional coping skill might work better for um, like shorter term recurring events that are a little bit stressful rather than such an enormous life event, which probably takes a lot more time to process emotionally, which I was glad that they included that caveat because when I had first read their description of cognitive reappraisal, like essentially trying to reinterpret the event as potentially being positive, it's a, I, that felt really off for me yeah. in terms of yeah. like studying grief. Um, but so I was glad to see that that's kind of how they um, couched that in the end. Um, and and uh, so that all to say, I think what is really an interesting takeaway from this project is that holding in your feelings and bottling everything up can be potentially really bad for your health. Here they just measured inflammation. They're definitely saying we would need to kind of see how this is tied to physical health outcomes over time. But it's something I hear a lot when I'm working with patients in family medicine, These, this process of um, bottling things up and keeping that all to myself and really making sure nobody knows what's going on for me because I wouldn't want to stress them out right. is a lot of times the reason. Like I can't let my family know that I'm really struggling because it's not fair to them. Like they've got their own stuff going on, um, which I always am attempting to reframe as like they are you sure that they don't know that something's going on for, with you and potentially they're more um, struggling to know how to ask about it or what to do with it? I wonder how we could open up and invite them into knowing that this is what's going on for you. So it's potentially, I mean, the flip of that is that it's potentially healthier to express emotions. But I think um, without kind of putting all of the responsibility on the person who is doing the most intense grieving. Right. I think the other takeaway is potentially if you're a friend or a family member, it might you might need to more actively 
move in to help that grieving person open up and um, really creating a safe space for them to be able to do it. That's a two-way street. Bottling up emotions is not just, right? It's like they're measuring it as one person's coping skill. I'm saying the potential takeaway is like, if that person is surrounded by friends or family, they can be a little bit more intentional potentially to show that person they're not afraid to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think there's a really easy way to do this. Um, uh-huh. I think yes. a really difficult question is how are you? Because the answer is like, take your pick. Horrible, <laughs> abysmal, like what a stupid question. It's uh-huh. usually when people asked me right after Ben died, how are you? I would say, okay, which is also a very dumb answer because I wasn't, but I thought the question was like so unanswerable that it it was, they were trying to give me an opportunity to open up and it didn't Mm -hmm. feel like an opportunity to open up. Um, But if instead you ask, how are you today? It's like, it's somehow so much more manageable, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, well today is is so hard or you know what today like I feel a little bit better because of this you know because I got a good night's sleep last night or it just it 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 seems just somehow like a more like practical thoughtful question and it's it's such a small tweak but um I think it helps yeah absolutely and and oftentimes with those kind of canned questions we because we ask everybody that like how are you the automatic response is is okay uh, yeah yeah. Uh, okay so that that makes complete sense sense. i love that just small tweak of how are you today and also i you know i think too sometimes when i did just say what i was thinking you know how are you today like horrible (laughs) then the person didn't know how to respond because Uh they weren't they were kind of, I mean, they didn't think I was okay, but it's can't. That's sort of what you expect. So I think like, sometimes people, it was like a curveball, and they'd be like, oh, oh, uh, I'm sorry, you know? So yeah, when you're like, how are you? And then you get like genuine emotions back. You're like, what? So I think that's also the responsibility of, of, of friends and family is to build up your capacity to see and sit with a variety of emotions and say, oh, you're terrible today, you're horrible today, tell me more. Well, and what I love about, because I agree, that interaction of always asking me, like, how are you doing, is really an emotion suppression tactic, right? Nobody has asked that question with hoping to get anything beyond good or fine. And what I love about your suggestion there is just adding today because it shows two things, right? That your emotional state is going to fluctuate and it shouldn't just be this, I'm either one of this emotion and all this emotion all the time, but right now in this moment, this is how I'm feeling. And it also allows to say, I want to talk about how you're doing right now, not about like, tell me everything that's going on because I'm really trying to shut down and I don't want to hear anything that's going on. Right. Yeah, I think um, this this study only looked at, or rather, they um, participants needed to be uh, f- around or at least fourteen weeks away from the loss. Um, but that's not a very long amount of time, and no, no, so right. <laughs> there is um, there was some news coverage of this paper because it's very new, where there was some suggestions in a few of these write ups that I saw that um, that emotional expression could therefore be healthy, but if you're still expressing emotions around this kind of thing for a long period of time, that might in, um, indicate some some issues. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. Oh, no. So oh, no. horrible for a long time? I mean, what? Yeah, that's right. terrible. Um, you so have approximately I'm not... 14 weeks to process all of this shit, right. and then okay. you just need to, like, move on. move on. Turn it off. Tidy up. Like a light um, switch. Turn it off. <laughs> I, off I definitely, emotions. not only is it not what they studied, so not something that could be a re- reasonable takeaway from the science, It also there's also, like, all indications to the contrary for how people heal, especially with bereavement which is something that I'm also trying to normalize when I work with patients, that it totally makes sense to me if you have not um, felt this for a while and this came up out of nowhere for you again. And so um, I think being cognizant or, or starting to normalize this conversation around this stress, this distress that we feel from loss comes can, can come and go and can be spiked by 
um, anniversaries, reminders, people asking questions, but also for no reason at all. Um, yeah. And that that's something to really, I think, be mindful of when we're when we are grieving, but also when we're caring about somebody who is grieving. Yeah, definitely. It's funny because, um, you know, what you said about trying to discuss that with your patients. I very vividly remember one of my first therapy sessions talking about my daughters and how I thought we, you know, I was telling my therapist like, oh, we're going to approach this process so differently because this is going to be really hard their whole life. You know, like high school graduation, their wedding, they're going to have these spikes where it's hard. But for me, it will be a much more linear process. <laughs> I just thought, knowing nothing about grief except my like three-week-old grief, that like I feel horrible now, and I it will just over some period of time go from like really, really awful to like bearable. And I thought it was some kind of straight line, and it's 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 that you know exact the surprise of the it's just all waves and peaks and valleys. You know, you're fine, and then some really random thing uh you know uh, one day in the parking lot at ut i saw a dad who was dropping his daughter off for her first day of college and he gave her a hug goodbye and i had the worst day for like 24 hours just you know because i saw that while driving um versus like an anniversary where you kind of know it's coming but then that's strange too because sometimes you feel okay on the anniversary and then the next day is horrible because on the Mm -hmm. anniversary a lot of people called you and you felt all this love and then you woke up the next day and you were like oh my life is horrible like you know Mm -hmm. so it's 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 hard to predict you can't predict Mm -hmm. when these days will come generally so and one of the things i love about this idea of the rainy day boxes too is that it actually shows that idea of grief coming in waves mm-hmm. and and that you don't need to suppress that when it's there that you can you know even something that's like opening a gift can help you feel and experience that grief understand that people are there for you and that's what i you know i think that's what it really points to it's not like oh here are the flowers for the funeral and i don't not going to get you another gift it's going to be this is when there when i need it because i'm i don't know when i'm going yeah. to need it or what might happen yeah, definitely. You know, I think it it almost allows you to, like, give in to the horrible day. Like, I'm going to name this. This day is somehow worse than, like, any of the last 47 days. This day is so bad. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's bad enough that it's a, a rainy day box day. And, you know, it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, what my sister gave me and what we have in our boxes. They're all beautiful, thoughtful things. But it's it's so much more about the experience of opening it than, like, getting something. You know, you don't a candle is not going to fix everything, but the experience of like, you know, yeah, naming the bad day, having a release, getting a message that says like, we know today is a really bad day. It's, it, it helps. Yeah. And I can imagine there's so, the, the feeling of, of there being so little out of your control, being able to kind of control, this is a day that I'm going to open a box. For some people I can imagine also is cathartic as well. Having control over that one thing yeah and there's also this sort of interesting feedback loop that can happen you know sometimes I would open something and keep it to myself I guess but if I opened something and told my sister like oh this you know I just opened blah 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 it really helped that's then this big signal to her like whoa today is a really bad day for Kate and I need to be aware of that and maybe you know I need to be more present or check in tomorrow with a lot of texts you know and it, it sort of ends up cluing cluing the you know the giver in on mm-hmm. on when these really bad days happen knowing when to give support as the as the as the friend or family member being able to pick up on those signals too i can imagine is helpful as well well and if it facilitates emotional expression i think that's the what i found so interesting about this research it was it was a really specific kind of emotional coping strategy that it of course, it's intuitive, but they they'd not drawn this connection before um, to how it literally affects your body. So, if something like that facilitates you opening up yeah. in a way that is more tangible and simpler, yeah, um, yeah, way what easier. What a powerful effect! Yeah, what a powerful it's, effect! It's easier to say, "Oh, I opened the candle," which can then lead to like, "Oh, well, yeah. what's going on today?" Versus, "I'm going to call mm-hmm. you to tell you I'm having a horrible day." You know, right. it's 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 an totally easy entry. Yeah, yeah. Totally makes sense what you're saying. I'm all about easy entry for emotions. <laughs> I don't understand what you guys are laughing at. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! 
Boo! Woohoo! Yeah! Finally, time for good or bad advice, where we talk about pervasive relationship advice about friends, families, and romantic partners. Did your parents or grandparents have a saying about love and marriage? Did you have a friend or romantic partner who said something about love and family that you thought was odd or maybe it struck you as poignant? Maybe you heard something about relationships in a movie or a TV show that just made you think. This is the section of the show where we talk about the advice or sayings and based on science, mind you, decide if it was good or bad advice. If you've been on the receiving end of some relationship advice and you'd like us to talk about it, please send it to us. Leave us a message at 865-229-6775. Email us at attachpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at attachpodcast or go to the attachpodcast.com website and send us a message. While you're at it, please like and subscribe to our podcast and share it with your loved ones. We know sharing a podcast about healthy relationships might be awkward. So we've come up with some example scenarios to help all of our listeners spread the good news. Ugh, online dating is the worst. It's so hard to find a normal person out there. I hear ya. I'm still dating, but I found that I need to take time to focus on myself and really work on finding who I am and my identity. Yikes, that sounds super lame. <laughs> LOL, I know. <laughs> but have you seen that show Flirty Dancing? I like to think of me focusing on myself is like that show. I work on learning a dance and work on how I can best do that dance. Then when a great person shows up, I feel confident enough to, you know, do that dance. Wow, that is like crazy profound. Did you come up with that all on your own? Well, no, actually. I've been listening to this remarkable podcast (laughs) called Attached. It uses science, I know, science, to debunk (laughs) bad relationship advice for romance or families, whatever. You should totally check it out. Uh, You sold me. I totally will. High five. Anyway, that's just an example of like potential very normal conversations you could have with a friend. I am massively uncomfortable. Like I really (laughs) hope that doesn't make the final cut. Oh, it's going to make it. It's definitely going to make it. After you said that, it's definitely going to make it. Probably with some fireworks in the background. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I should. I'll I'll play trumpets behind it. Yes. (laughs) Today's advice, we will harness our expert's wisdom to talk about advice from The Guardian, an article titled 15 Ways to Support Someone Who is Grieving. We're not going to be able to go through all of them, but we will post the link to the article and you can check them out yourself. So, are you guys ready? Yes. All right. Never avoid someone who has been bereaved. It is confusing and hurtful. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> pretty uh, yeah. pretty obvious <laughs> like show up um it's you know so much of it's like well here's the right thing to say but like the the wrong guest thing to say is nothing one thing we um have on the site and instagram is like what's right in a sympathy card um and we try to give really easy ideas like um steal other people's words like you can take an inspirational quote or you can say i don't know what to say but i'm here for you love Kate that's it it you know it it doesn't have to be long but um showing up is important um and I think the interesting footnote to this is you get these sort of bonus points if you are more removed from the person you know every single message I got was meaningful and you know all the ones from my my friends and my family um it was Mm -hmm. great but when you get a card I, I mean I can tell you it's been three and a half years I got a card from uh, my best friend in sixth grade, who I have not talked oh. to. I got a card from uh, my pen pal who grew up across the street from my grandparents. Wow. Um, I got a card from my friend's husband's grandparents. Wow. Um, you know, people I didn't know or hadn't talked to in 25 years, um, it, it meant so much. Um, and I think there's... You know, there can be a fear of like, oh, I'm not close to them, so that's right. invasive. Mm-hmm. And it's the opposite. It's like, oh, 
I cannot believe how many people are thinking of me and my girls and of Ben. And um, so don't don't hold back. Don't hold back. Send those cards. I love it. Yeah, I agree. Good advice. It may seem like a, well, duh, of course you shouldn't avoid somebody. But a lot of times, especially how we deal with grief in our, you know, in like American culture is to like any emotions that make me uncomfortable, I just want to shut down and keep away from. So a lot of times, you know, you might you might be sending this message to yourself as you were saying, like, oh, they need space. They need to be okay." When in fact, I think that's just a way for us to manage our own emotions of I don't want to get in a situation where. I have to handle this person's emotions for them or I say something dumb. But really, being there is going to make a big difference. Yeah, and I think, um, okay, there's, I think there's a fear of saying something dumb. I think there's also a fear of upsetting the person, which I think mm. is hilarious having uh, <laughs> gone, gone through this because, um, like, as I say, you, you can't upset me. I am always upset um i am it's always like aware hulk, yeah. right remember the hulk he was like they're like how do you control your hulkness he was like well i don't i don't have to control being mad i'm just mad all the time right. yes yes like, so i am just sad all the time so you know i think it, it it's easy to be like oh i you know they seem okay right now i you know i don't want to mention kate's dead husband because it it might make her upset um but you you I mean, that's, it's just not humanly possible. Like, I'm already upset. Like, you're not going to remind me my husband died because I forgot. Uh, yeah. You know, you're not going to, you know, jolt me out of the happiness that I've somehow, you know, magically found. So um, I think, you know, not, not being afraid to say something yeah. is, is a good thing. Yeah. I don't know if I technically rated this just because it seems so so ridiculous but yes good advice i think um uh you're probably the other way i might frame that for people is like you're not powerful enough to maybe hurt that person Mm -hmm. um but that your power could be translated for good if you reached out and the worst that you could do is if they're already overwhelmed they might just ignore you but they're not gonna not necessarily see it or feel it yeah or i mean again like they might start crying but it's it's, it's so hard. It's not because you're making them cry. It's because you gave them an opening to express opening, yeah. their emotion. And mm-hmm. it's, it's heavy. It's going to be hard. You know, when you, when you give someone who's grieving an opening, what you get back might be gnarly. And, and that's okay. Think of it that way. I like that. You're giving them a, a, a way to open up their feelings. And now you all know that you're preventing them from sickness later down the road if they're opening up their feelings. Okay, so good advice. So next, never compare the loss of a significant loved one to the loss of a pet. Yep. I mean, the, the, the pet part is hopefully obvious, but I'm not a big animal lover, so I don't know. Maybe it's not. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of people that compare me having a kid to their pet. So I wonder if it is like the similar parallel that people just have no idea what to say. They're like, the only thing I have close yeah. is... Yes. No, I think it's true. You know, so you look at... There are a lot of situations where you you want to say like, I know what you feel, but if right. you don't really, it's better to just say, I'm here for you and I'm listening, you know? Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. So the, the intent of empathizing is good, but maybe recognize that it is not the same. Yeah, I was going to agree. I think good advice. I think we have this belief that we need to have experienced something similar Mm. to understand what someone else is feeling. And we need them to know that we get where they're coming from. But neither of those things need to come out of my own experience. I can understand what you're feeling if you share it with me. And I don't have to have experienced anything similar in order to explore it or try to empathize. And I think that is a hang up that happens all the time. There's really interesting research that looks at how um, like physician self-disclosure that when they're trying to, when they're working with patients in primary care uh, in order to talk about like weight loss or exercise, they have to maybe share about their own weight loss or exercise. But all it does is serve to make it about you. And it takes the person who actually needs to be heard out of their out of their moment so that now they're having to empathize with you and really it wasn't the same at all so oh. i think it's just 
good advice for like regardless of the situation yeah and any like i don't think that dealing with any emotions is good when it's always when you're trying to compare it right because you can't really understand somebody's lived experiences everybody grieves differently everybody expresses that grief differently and so they're oh even though there may be overlap between some of the feelings you felt when you uh lost somebody and somebody else lost somebody I don't think of saying like, well, let me tell you about this in my experience is ever a good phrase when it comes to emotions or or anything to do with relationships for that matter. I hate it so much. It's such it's such a go to for people in terms of like finding a way to empathize. But I, I would say um, as a caveat to what you just said, Jacob, I think we can understand how people are feeling. Yeah. We don't need to have felt it ourselves to ha- to feel validate or to feel like we can understand without feeling it ourselves i think those are two different things no that's a great that's a great caveat especially in this circumstance that it's just so off right so good advice don't talk don't compare to anything yeah to anything i think we we were taking this advice and and kind of expanding it further to maybe just don't compare to anything don't stop someone crying Even saying don't cry meant helpfully can seem as if you are shutting them down. Yeah, well, so I think this this, uh, dovetails nicely with, like, how are you? You know, it's one of those, like, canned responses that our brain, you know, you're hugging someone and you're patting their back and you're like, don't cry, don't cry. And I I feel like remembering not to say that I think is even more important when you're dealing with, like, a child or a teenager. Like, I I have Mm. so consciously, like, every time my girls cry about their papa dying, like, I never say don't cry. But that's that's what, even though, you know, I have the same experience as them, like, bubbles up inside of me to say. But, you know, it goes back to the study and all of this, like, let, let, let people feel what they're feeling. Um, and you're trying to be helpful by saying don't cry, but it, it, it comes across as someone trying to curtail your emotions. Absolutely. And it's, a, it's like a cultural uh, phrase that you hear everywhere. It's like in almost every rom-com or drama movie, that phrase don't don't cry i like to replace it with i gotcha Mm, that's Um, nice um and that's because you want to say something in in the moment but it's hard to know what what to say so i like that replacement of it but i also wonder if it's more of um sometimes of an expression of like oh like i really hurt for you like i really want to take i want to take care of you like oh i wish you weren't in so much pain but it doesn't it all sound like that yeah um and it it is something you really have to check with your own kids i mean it makes sense what you're saying about uh and that's a hard that's a hard norm to break because really what you're saying is some version of either what you're saying patricia of like i'm like i'm here i'm right here or like i'm so sorry that this is what is going on yeah i think sometimes just like if you don't know what to do just state the facts you know like i got you or a lot of times Uh i say to my girls like i know this is really hard like yeah and i'm just gonna hold you while you're crying and i'm just gonna say like yep this is this is hard this is unfair like it's it's okay yeah, to cry yeah. you know like if i don't know what to say i just like state the facts yeah good, good starting point Absolutely. yep yeah i agree i think sometimes uh the two most emotions we're most comfortable with is anger and happiness and everything outside of that always feels a little bit awkward for most people and they want to lean out of that emotion instead of lean in right but i think yeah. that learning how to be present saying I got you this really sucks this is really hard is when people are feeling that grief and that sadness is what what we ought to do what we need to do so good advice don't stop someone from crying next piece of advice ask if you can go to the funeral uh no (laughs) so that's so weird to me just show up I mean uh, you don't need permission ever to go to a funeral it's kind of the same thing as the cards like when you see random people that you were are really surprised are there you know i didn't look at anyone's face and be like why are you here it was more like oh my gosh you're you took the time out to travel or come like you're thinking of us but especially like uh, you know a funeral or memorial service it's it's probably happening pretty soon after the death and like the fact that the grieving person is like standing upright is is probably a feat. So for you to like burden them with like, will you please give me permission to oh, attend yeah. your partner's like funeral? That's that's just bad advice. Just show up. Yeah, yeah I, I 100% agree. I don't know why. Can you imagine like, hey, 
I just wanted to reach out. I know you've got a lot going on, but I wanted to make sure it would be okay if I came to the funeral. Can like, you remind me what, what time it's at? Yeah. like oh what, Where's parking? I mean, yeah. like, can you send me a Google map link so I can navigate there? Uh, Is there an Evite? I mean, uh, RSVP maybe. Yeah. Th- so, so this is like extreme, right? Right. But I think it also kind of segues into the one other kind of bad piece of advice that, that jumped out at me from the article. In the week after my father died, I became fixated with surrounding myself with nice smells. Beautiful, luxurious body oils and perfumes became incredibly important. Uh, Your grieving friend will probably have something similar if you ask. So this is the the maybe less obvious version. Um, Don't, don't, don't ask, you know, if, <laughs> if, if you want to give them something that smells nice, just, you know, buy a nice candle. Um, but I think in, in general, the best way to help is um, if it's something where you, you don't need some kind of permission, like giving someone bubble bath, just do it. Um, if you if you do, like if it involves like, you know, coming into their home and, and helping with their kids or the laundry cooking or dinner, whatever, yeah. um, phrase it as a yes or no question, you know, so not what can I do, but can I bring you dinner on Tuesday? Um, you know, I think I, I was very both like incapable of making decisions and just didn't care about much of anything. Like I knew my kids needed to be fed. That was like the extent of how much I cared about food for like three months. Um, so asking like, what do you want for dinner? Not helpful, (laughs) you know, asking, you know, can, can I bring dinner on Tuesday? helpful you know all I had to say was was yes or no so I think in, in general limit your questions to that kind of framework it it takes takes some of the burden off so I have a question about about that because um you know I have friends that I try to bring food to regularly and I used to ask them that like can I bring you food on Tuesday and I've found just this is my own personal uh, uh projection that my when people reach out to try and help me with anything my automatic response is oh no I'm good I got it Mm -hmm. so what I've changed my phrase is I say I'm going to bring you food does Tuesday or Wednesday work better yeah just so they don't have the option of saying no to me which sounds a little like it's a problem with consent but (laughs) it's I don't I'm not like sitting there force feeding them I'm, I'm saying I know you um and these are maybe my closer friends. Like, I know um, this could help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also know that you're bad at maybe accepting things. Right. Um, so this is going to happen. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, so a situation like this, probably in the beginning, you're so, you know, again, your brain's not working. So so you probably say yes. But, but I will say, like, I do, I think you're right about it. When you're close to people, it's maybe easier to see this. But yeah, I have absolutely. some friends where, like, as time has gone on and I and I try to project more of this like no 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 it's okay I got it um you know like last year there was this issue with my seven-year-old's birthday cake and I was gonna have to bake one for her really late at night and I have this amazing friend who's an incredible baker and she was like let me bake the cake and I was like no 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 I got it and she was just like let I I'm going to bake the cake like I'm not even I'm gonna ask your daughter what kind of cake she wants like I I know she kind of knew what I needed, and so I think um, I forgot how she phrased it, but she ended up making the cake, and and that's what I want. You know, I I wanted her to, and I kind of needed her to, but you you do at a certain point sometimes get worried about burdening people, and so I think phrasing it that way absolutely. Depending on, like, the level of comfort you have with people, I guess. I guess if, like, your friend's grandparents were like, I'm bringing you food, (laughs) you'd be like, what? I think, too, if you're, you know, if you kind of insert yourself, like, muscle in a little bit, a time or two, then hopefully that friend will stop fighting you, you know? And then it's easier to just be like, yeah, you're the best. Bring me me more food. No, I agree. Good advice. like you know well good advice what you're saying bad advice <laughs> what what the article says yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. you know like and i th- do think it's it's important to beware of the context of your relationships and kind of formulate your boundaries accordingly right because i think in sometimes there does need to be people if somebody's setting up a boundary and say no no i don't need help sometimes it's really okay to push through that but it depends yeah. on the context and your relationship with that person right. 
Yes. Um, if you are a really close friend, I think that's when it's okay to push. If you're like an estranged family member who... <laughs> right. Um, yeah, like you need to take your cues and respect boundaries, maybe by phrasing yes or no questions. Like, do you want me to bring you dinner on Tuesday? No. Okay. And not take that as like, oh, well, I'm trying to do this because I... I, now that you're you're grieving, I'm going to try to repair this relationship. That's not the best time to do that either. And maybe reach out to an intermediary that if like if you're um, estranged or further out in the circle of friends that don't ask that person, maybe kind of check in with a close friend right. or mom or something. But I also think that there's the um, I, I'm wondering about the difference between like emotional support versus instrumental support. So th right. these are questions that are around, like, can I offer this um, task, uh, to do this task for you? Can I offer this, um, uh, these different kind of comfort tools for you? Is, like, f on one flavor, a form of instrumental support in terms of, like, doing something for you, right. something practical. But, like, if I open the, if, if there's, like, a, if you just drop off that bubble bath, the worst case scenario is they throw it out because they don't like how it smells, but you don't lose the necessarily the emotional support piece. Right. Whereas right. the asking about it is like another stressor or form of like emotional labor that they might they might not have the capacity to do, and then it it negates what you were gonna do anyways. The worst case scenario it seems like of dropping food at the door and not ever having asked is the lasagna goes in the trash, but but I still get to feel that you cared about me. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So that's what I'm wondering too about this difference of like the asking is like labor that doesn't need to happen to convey the emotional support. Mm. I like that. Well, that's all we have for this episode. Thank you, Kate, so much for sharing all your wisdom and expertise. Yes, yes thank, thank you so you much. Thank you very much. It's hey. great talking about it. And as always, if you have any advice that you would like for us to talk about, send it on in. We cannot wait to talk about it.